We are in Matthew 24 this evening. So if you're physically able, would you stand with me? And we will uh, read a portion of God's word tonight. Matthew chapter 24. We're going to pick it up where we left off last week. And that would be in verse 32. Jesus is speaking and he says, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, but my Father only. But as the days of Noah were, so also the coming of the Son of Man be. For as, love, as in the days of before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And he did not know until the flood came and took them away. So also will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then two will be in the field and one will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and the other left. Watch therefore, for you do not know the hour at which your Lord is coming. Harold Camping. Anyways, that's not in the text. Verse 43. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. Who then is faithful and a wise servant, whom his master has made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods." But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him at an hour which he is not aware of. And he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Fathers, we take some time just to get into your word tonight. We pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, among anything else, we want you to be our teacher. Lord, we have come tonight to hear from you. So Lord, may your spirit minister deep into our hearts as we yield ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. A couple other things that doesn't have to do with Wednesday night. Tomorrow, tomorrow at uh, the altar, Nate Jackson, again, is back from Philadelphia. And uh, if you are 30-ish and under, uh, you'll want to come out to the altar. Nate is one of the finest Bible teachers I know. And uh, he does a great job. He was a Bible teacher here for a long time. So he'll be out tomorrow night. And I just want to encourage you young men and women to uh, take part in that. Uh, Sunday, of course, Pastor Rob is going to be going through the book of Hebrews, continuing on in chapter 12. And that is going to be a tremendous blessing. So Saturday night, Sunday morning, and then Christmas with the three wise men. Friday night, December 2nd. You can inquire in the front office for tickets to that. But uh, with Brett Williams and Timothy Meanley and, and, and Brian Finnell, it'll be a great, great time. Uh, it's going to be a wonderful time together. So just wanted to mention those. Well, Matthew 24. And uh, I see a lot of fanning going on. Is it, is, it, or is it warm in here tonight? I know it's warm on the stage. So if... Those fellas in the back could maybe tune down the temperature just a little bit. Uh, That would be awesome for uh, tonight. 
As part of our Being Discipled by Jesus series, uh, we are looking at the longest answer, the longest single answer that uh, Jesus ever gave to one single question. Jesus and his disciples were walking by the temple. Jesus had just been a little rough, to say the least, on the Pharisees. And the disciples wanted to point out what an amazing structure the, the temple was. But Jesus says, oh, you like that structure, huh? You like that temple? I'm telling you, not one stone shall be left upon another. It's all going to be torn down. And the disciples must have thought that he, you know, lost his marbles in that moment. Because these stones, remember we looked at a couple weeks ago, they are train boxcar in length. These are humongous stones. And so even if an army would invade, who in the world would want to take that temple apart stone by stone? But Jesus said this. He said this, number one, so they would get their eyes off of Judaism and off of man and on to him where they belonged. But more than that, because Jesus knew that prophecy was going to be the subject of their next question. And Jesus gives them a prophecy that they would see fulfilled in their lifetime so that they would know when Jesus says something, no matter how unlikely, it is going to come to pass. I've really appreciated the last few weeks, you know, we've been looking at the signs of Jesus' coming and looking at particularly earthquakes happening in various places and, and understand I'm teaching this series not just here on Wednesday nights at Calvary Vista, but also on Sunday mornings at uh, Calvary Chapel Paris. Well, understand, the other week, I don't know if you noticed it in the newspaper, northeast Oklahoma, or southeast Oklahoma and northeast Texas, which isn't known for its earthquakes, was rocked by a 4.0 earthquake. So you should have seen the next Sunday morning I showed up. They're like, you're a prophet, you're a prophet. Well, Jesus is technically the prophet and uh, I was just reading his words. But you see, that's the point. These things are happening and Jesus wants to instill in all of us that what he says is what he means because he knew their question in verse three that all of chapter 24 and 25 is, is, is based on. They ask, what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answers this question by basically outlining for the disciples the time period on earth still coming from our perspective known as the Great Tribulation. Matthew 24, we've outlined it, but we'll put it up on the screens again. Verses 4 through 14 give us the events of the first half of the Tribulation period, and that ties in to Revelation chapter 6. Matthew 24, verses 15 through 20 give us the events of the middle of the Tribulation period. And then finally, verses 21 to 31 give us the events of the second half of the tribulation leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we have spent the last two weeks unpacking those verses. Jesus gives us signs that like birth pains will grow in intensity and get closer together as the coming of Jesus comes closer to earth. But each of these signs, though we see them, we see them intensifying today. We see them getting closer and closer today. We see earthquakes happening in Paris, Texas. The culmination of these signs will be in the tribulation period. The tribulation period is a seven-year period still coming on planet Earth. Bible scholars believe it's seven years because of Daniel's 70th week prophecy in Daniel chapter 9. There are 490 years determined on the nation of Israel. 483 of those fulfilled from the moment Artaxerxes gave his command to go and restore Jerusalem till the moment Jesus walked into, Jerus walked into Jerusalem. You see, that was 483 years to the day. But then God began to work with a new group of people made up of not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles, slave and free, a group known as the, everybody, 
church. That's right. And for 2,000 almost years, God has been working with the church, but there still remains seven years to be fulfilled in this Daniel chapter 9 prophecy. That's why Bible scholars will say the, the tribulation, it's seven years, and it's divided into two three-and-a-half-year sections. They're separated by this event called the abomination that makes desolate, where the Antichrist will go into the temple he helped rebuild there in Jerusalem and declare himself to be above all that is called God. And that ushers in with a second half of the tribulation where God is pouring out his judgments, seven trumpet judgments, seven bowl judgments, all described in Revelation chapter 8 through 19. And the tribulation ends with the second coming of Jesus Christ. Essentially, what the disciples were asking in the third verse of Matthew 24, what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? So what Jesus does is he gives them the events of what will happen in the seven years leading up to Jesus' return, the great tribulation period. Now, now some of you must be thinking, well, why are we looking at these things? I mean, don't, don't we believe as a church, at least most of us here, and don't you believe personally that, that, that the rapture of the church is going to happen before the tribulation period? Why are we looking at signs that the tribulation is on the way? I, I don't get it. I don't understand. See, you're right. I do believe the rapture will happen before the tribulation. The rapture seen in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 17, it's going to happen, I believe, before the tribulation begins. Meaning this, if we look at Matthew 24 and we see that the second coming of Jesus Christ is near and the tribulation is near, you know what that means? His coming for the church is oh, at the door. Amen? At the door. And that's what Jesus is talking about when we get to here in verse 32. Look at it with me. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and it puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the door. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Friends, the time of the Lord's coming is approaching. When will it be? I don't know. But I know we are one day closer today than we were yesterday. You are one day closer today to seeing Jesus. And what Jesus says in these last verses is when the figs begin to break out there in the nation of Israel, it would happen in the spring and it would be a sign to everyone, summer is on the way. So he says, you see these signs of figs, you know that summer is approaching. We have similar stuff today. You know, you know what happens at Walmart and every other major chain store. The day after Halloween, what happens? The ghouls come down and Santa comes up. Don't read too much into that, but that's what happens. The ghosts and the witches come down and Santa at Christmas explodes over all of our stores on November 1st. They used to wait till after Thanksgiving, but no more. So you know when you walk in the day after Thanksgiving and you see all of these Christmas decorations, you know what you can really know? Thanksgiving is right around the corner. See what I did right there? Oh, we know Christmas is coming, but if they already have these things out, it must be Turkey Day very, very soon. You see Jesus saying, hey, we see these events coming to take place. These things are coming closer together. And what it shows us is not only is Jesus' second coming and his kingdom about to be established, but his day where he's gonna take his church home, friends, it's even sooner. No matter what you feel about the rapture, no, no matter where you come down theologically, I mean, the reality is this. None of us in this room have more than 100 years until we see the king. 
And let's be honest, (laughs) most of us in the room have far less than 100 years till we're going to see our king. The day is approaching where we are going to see Jesus. Now, in light of that truth, how are we then to live? Because you see, prophecy is not to just entertain the curious. It's to encourage the consecrated to continue to live their lives full on for the Lord. I'll say that again because I think it's important. Prophecy is not to just entertain the curious. It's not so we can just look in the news and, you know, back in the 80s say, Ronald, R-O-N-A-L-D, Wilson, Ray, 666, he's the Antichrist. Or Gorbachev, what's that thing on his head? He's got the mark of the beast. You see, I don't think, listen, I don't think prophecy is for you and I to get Bible weird. No. It's not to just excite some curiosity. It's to encourage you to consecration. That the Lord is coming again. And that's what we see in the rest of chapter 24 here. Is Jesus is going to encourage you and me and these disciples. Who believe in his soon return of how, listen. How we're to live in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again soon. Three things for you note takers tonight to write down. And that is. Jesus tells us, first of all, to be watchful. Second, he tells us to be wise. And thirdly, he tells us to be warned. Let's look at those one at a time. Starting in verse 42. Jesus in verse 36 through 41 tells us that as the days of Noah, the days of Noah, they thought that it's just gonna go on forever like it is. And then, then the end, come and, end came. And just like in our day and age, where we think, oh, the world's just gonna continue on. No, nope, that's when the Lord is coming back. But then he tells us what to do. Verse 42, watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, He would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. We are to be watching. We are to be looking for the soon return of our Lord. Why? Well, Jesus tells us because, number one, because we don't know when he's coming back. You know, as I mentioned in my Bible reading tonight, Harold Camping and his organization twice in 2011. Not not once, twice. You know, May, whatever that date was. May, you know, Jesus, this is the day that Jesus returns and nothing happens. And then, and then, and then, no, no, I was mistaken. October is the day. Oh, what? No, no, because nobody knows the day or the hour. And it makes me upset because it seems to make people like me who do believe in the soon return of Jesus seem to be a crazy like him. But no, no one knows the day or the hour. In fact, the only thing we know is that he's coming at an hour in which we think not. Which is kind of fun if you think about it. I I mean, let's be honest tonight. How many of you are positive that Jesus is coming back before Jordan and the gang lead us in one last song tonight? How many are positive? I mean, not, not that you know he could. He could. I mean, we all know he could. But how many of you are super sure that he is coming back in the next 45 minutes? Well, probably none of us. I mean, we're glad we're at church when it happens. Hey, good for us. But, 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 none of us really expect that. So you know what that means? That means this hour qualifies. We are to be watching because we don't know. And secondly, because watching makes you ready. 
Jesus shares the illustration that if you knew a thief was coming, you would be ready. I mean, you can imagine you receive a note that says, I'm coming to rob your house. 2 a.m. tomorrow morning. Be ready. Well, if you first saw that note, you would think it's a joke. You'd think someone was playing a practical joke on you. I mean, all of us have had those things happen to us. I remember when I was an intern here many, many years ago, I was answering phones for one of the, sec- the secretaries who were away on lunch, and, and a call came in, and I said, you know, and may I talk to Pastor Rob? And I said, sure, who is this? And he said, it's Brian. Now, being an intern, I didn't know what to say next to that, so I, I just said, Brian who? Now, if you remember back in 1998, that was not a good time to say Brian who when someone named Brian answered the phone because the next thing that came out of his mouth was Brian Broderson. Can I please talk to Pastor Rob? Now, to make matters worse, you you gotta fill me on this story tonight. I was convinced that it wasn't Brian Broderson. I knew who Brian Broderson was, but I was con- it just didn't sound like the guy I listened to on the radio. I, you know, I, I came to this church when Pastor Rob was here. This year. I didn't really know. So, I mean, you know what I thought it was? Anybody remember Jim Chatham? That's who I thought it was. See, Jim Chatham was known for practical jokes. He would call me on a Saturday night as I was helping out with high school ministry, and he'd pretend to be a high school girl. And he'd like, I have feelings for you. Uh, and, and I'd be like, what? What in the world? And, 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 you know, and eventually I'd be like, Jim, you know, what are you doing? And so I almost, I almost said to Brian Broderson, oh, Brian, do you also have feelings for me? I almost said that. And praise the Lord, praise the Lord, right before I was about to get smart, because, oh, that's, that's where I need to grow in my life. Everybody that knows me knows that. Pastor Rob walks around the corner and says, uh, just so you know, I'm expecting a call from Brian, Brian Broderson from England. Make sure it goes through. And I was like, I, yes, sir, here we go. <laughs> I went on. Ooh, man, I'd have been kicked out of that Calvary movement. Wow. But see, I thought it was a joke. And we all know what that's like to have a joke played on us and think that. But, 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 but if you knew, if you knew, if you knew it was for real, that there was a thief coming to your house tonight, well, you would be ready. You know, the Texans would have their guns ready to go and the ammo ready to go. Man, be ready. I remember when I was, uh, the night before I got married, my groomsmen were horrible men, horrible guys. They love Jesus, but they are mean. And uh, I gave them a fake location of where I was spending the night before my wedding just because I knew them so well. And even then, as I stayed at this alternate location, I put a couch in front of the door and, and barred the bedroom door and actually slept in the closet because I'm not that tall and big and all five of them are. And so, and so I, I, just, I made these precautions. I was ready. But you see, I thought they wouldn't find out because the, the one groomsman that didn't know where I was, where I was staying, he, he didn't know the rest of the guys. He was from Indiana and he just had come in and he was a Bible college friend and he didn't know the rest of the guys. So, you know, I just, he's not gonna, they're not going to ask him. He's not going to tell them. <laughs> I didn't figure on the fact that the best way to get in if you're out is to rat me out. And that's what he did. So about two in the morning, I hear in the front door, we're here, and they had brought tools with them. So they took the door off the front door, and I hear them taking my bedroom door off, into my closet door. 
Then they wrapped me in shelving paper and ripped it off one by one to bless me right before I got married. I had a fresh waxing that night. It was amazing all over myself. But the point is this. What is the, what is the point of that story? Someone said I tell too many stories. I have no idea what they mean. I have no idea. <laughs> no. I was ready. I, they, they were bigger than me, so I was overwhelmed, but I was ready for them. And if you knew the Lord was coming, you would be ready. And friends, you've got to hear that tonight. If you fully expect Jesus to come back, you should be ready. John says in his epistle, 1 John 3, 3, everyone who has this hope purifies himself. Everybody that has this hope purifies himself. Knowing that Jesus is coming back does something to the way that we live, something the way that we view trials, something the way that we view temptation. I've told you before that when I was a young boy, my mom had bought into that book, 88 Reasons That Jesus Was Coming Back in 1988, and shared with me like the countdown, one more year until Jesus comes back, six more months, three more months. It weirded me out as a 10-year-old boy. It really did. But I remember that, I remember that day. I remember that day. When like, today's the day Jesus is coming back. I went to school and there was no temptation that could overtake me that day. (laughs) Hey, you want to take this kid's lunch? Nope, no idea. Do you want to talk about that person? Nope, nope, don't want to gossip. No way. Why? Jesus is coming back today. It changed my view of everything, even as a young guy. And friends, I don't think that part of it is bad. In the book Eternity by Joseph Stoll, he tells of a home for those with Down syndrome in Union Grove, Wisconsin, where they learn about the Lord. They don't just minister to their physical needs. The, the administration there ministered to their, phys, their, their spiritual needs. And they were interviewing the director of the organization. And he said, the only problem we have is dirty windows. He said, well, explain. What do you mean dirty windows? He said, because every day we see these kids and they have their faces pressed against the glass and they say, maybe today, my Lord will take me home and make me whole. I thought, you know what? Their simple minds have a lot to share with sophisticated you and me. We need to be watching. Lord, it could really be today. We need to be watching, but secondly, we need to be wise. We need to be wise. Look at verse 45. Not just watching, but we need to be wise. Jesus goes on to say, who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master has made ruler over his household to give them food in due season. Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find him so doing. Assuredly, I say to you, he'll make him ruler over all his goods. Not only are we to be watching, but secondly, we need to be wise. Now, how does that work out practically? Well, friends, a wise servant is one who is faithful to what the master has called him to do while the master is away. And that's a good place to start. We need to be faithful to what God has called us to do. We're not to kick back and live in a cave or not care. I mean, the gospel of Luke, who who reiterates the same exact message of Matthew 24, he adds that Jesus said, you need to occupy till I come. What does it mean to occupy? doesn't mean to, you know, put your tent down at, you know, every major city center in America today. I don't think that's what it means. It means to stay busy at what God is calling you to do. You know, we, we, can, we can lose our priorities. We're not to run up credit cards and leave school and goof off at work under the premise. It doesn't matter. Jesus is coming soon. No, in fact, the opposite. 
We're to be faithful at going after what God has called us to do. I mean, did you notice Paul in some of his last words in 2 Timothy chapter 4 says, I have finished the race you have given me, speaking to the Lord. Jesus in John 17, we studied a couple weeks ago, he said, I finished the work that you have given me to do. But think that through for a second. When Paul died, when Jesus went back to heaven, there were still sick people. There were still people that were not saved. How could they say the work was done? Because, listen, they had been faithful to do what God had called them personally to do. And that is what being as faithful or wise is all about. See, you don't have to do the work of Billy Graham or Pastor Rob or I'll set the bar a little lower, Pastor Jason. You don't have to set that. You don't have to do that. You have to be faithful at what God is calling you to do. In the parable of the talents, God gives one man five talents, the other two, and they simply use what God had given them, and God rewards the same. One had more fruit than the other, but both have been faithful to what God had given them to do. You see, it's not the abundance of fruitfulness. It's the consistency of faithfulness that makes you a wise, successful servant in the eyes of the Lord. Do what God is calling you to do. How do I know what God is calling me to do? Pray. Learn from Jesus who got up early and said, Lord, what would you have for me to do? We need to pray, God, what do you have for me today? What do you have for me in this next season? What direction do you want me to go in? Lord, what is your will for my life? And it might be one simple thing. God might give you one simple thing to do. Bake Pastor Jason cookies. That might be it. No, that's not what God's going to tell you to do. Maybe. No, he might say, mow your neighbor's lawn or pray for this person or call this person. Write him or her a note of encouragement. You see, you don't have to run a crusade or pastor a church to be a faithful servant. You just need to do what God is calling you to do faithfully. And how this body would be blessed if every single person that called this church their home did just what God was calling them to do. Whether that's to pray faithfully, to encourage others faithfully, to give faithfully, to exhort faithfully, to clean up after services, to teach kids, whatever it is that God is calling you to do, a wise servant simply does what the master is calling him to do while the master is away. Jesus is coming again soon, so what do we do? We need to be watching. We need to be wise. Thirdly, we need to be warned. Some of us need to be warned. Look at verse 48. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come in an hour which he's not looking for him at an hour which he is not aware of, and he will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. And there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now the opposite of the wise servant is the evil servant. But notice first with me, he is a servant. He's a member of the house. We're not talking about someone who doesn't know the Lord here. We are talking about someone who is in the household. And that word evil is pregnant with meaning. It speaks of one who was once good but has gone bad. 
It was used of an instrument that was once in tune but is now out. It was used of fruit that was once ripe but has now become rotten. And how did this servant become rotten? Jesus tells us. He becomes rotten because he says, listen, he says the Lord delays his coming. Now notice, he doesn't say the Lord isn't coming. He simply says the Lord is delaying his coming. You see, if having the hope, 1 John 3.3, if having the hope that Jesus is coming again soon purifies me, so often the opposite, well, it'll bring about things in my life I don't want to be there. There will be a rottenness that will begin to develop. There will be a laziness that begins to develop. And we see this in the illustration that Jesus gives. Notice this servant. What happens to this servant when he believes the Lord is delaying his coming? First of all, there's brutality. He begins to beat his fellow servants. He begins to treat those around him poorly because he really doesn't believe the master is soon to return. And again, I really believe that, you know, husbands, would you speak to your wives that way if you really believe Jesus is coming back? Gals, would you really speak to your husbands? Oh, you're going to pick on us too? Yes, I'm an equal opportunity offender. Girls, would you say to your husbands that those things, if you really believe Jesus is coming back today, would you talk that way to your coworkers, your schoolmates, your kids? You see, there's brutality that rises up in our hearts when we really don't believe that Jesus is on the way. And after brutality, we see next that there's carnality. This man begins to eat and drink with the drunkards. He begins to act like the world. And again, friends, be, be warned, be warned. If we don't really expect and think through, Jesus could come back soon. You're gonna see brutality. You're gonna see carnality come about in your life. And the opposite, I believe, is true. If you really believe Jesus is coming back today, I mean, who then thinks tonight's a good night to get sloshed? I mean, let's be honest. Jesus coming back, I'll grieve him with a brewski. I mean, really? Really? Probably not. Probably not. It's not time to go download those pornographic images. It's not time to to be bitter towards other people and gossip about other people. No, you wouldn't do that if you really believe that Jesus is coming again. But when we begin to think heaven is far off, what happens? We allow carnality to creep in our lives. What happens when the servant believes he's delaying his coming? First, there's brutality. Next, there's carnality. And then finally, finally, there's a sobering reality that hits. There's a sobering reality because the Lord returns. Hear me on that, church. You see, it doesn't matter how you feel about it. It doesn't matter whether you're watching for it or expecting it. No matter what, the Lord is going to return. And for the servant who doesn't recognize that, he's still coming. And after a life of living with brutality and carnality, there will be a sobering reality as they stand before the Lord. Now, I don't think we're talking about someone losing their salvation. You you are well-taught Bible students. You understand this. When we go to heaven, there are two judgment seats. There's the great white throne judgment. And when you stand before the great white throne judgment, the verdict of that judgment is where you spend eternity. Do I spend eternity with heaven, in heaven with Jesus, or separated him in hell, from him in hell for all of eternity? But we also understand and know that that the great white throne, there's one thing that matters on that day. 
Is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? It's not about your church attendance, tithe record, children's ministry participation, none of those things. Is your name written in the book of life? Are you saved? Did you receive? Did you respond to the work that God did in your life? Did you receive that work on the cross? Are you saved? It's why it's so important for you to accept Jesus. Because there is one day coming when that is all that will matter. But we also understand and know there's another judgment. The Bema Seat judgment. And that is where we're told that our works will be evaluated. Not, not to determine whether you go to heaven or hell. No, 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 no. We are not saved by our works. You guys know that. But they're evaluated in order for reward and responsibility for all of eternity. God sees the things you did. And again, the things we did for him, the things that he led us to do, he rewards and those turn into crowns and responsibilities for all of eternity. And those things that, well, were lesser. <laughs> well, Jesus with those eyes of fire, those things will just burn away. And that partly, partially excites me because there's a lot that needs to burn away in my life. There's a lot that needs to be consumed by his loving eyes of grace. But sometimes you have to wonder what will be left. 1 Corinthians chapter 3 seems to indicate that there will be those that will be saved yet by fire. There will be those, 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15, no other foundation can anyone lay that which is laid but is Christ Jesus. And if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, straw, let each, each one's work will become clear for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work is built on it endures, he will receive reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so through fire. In other words, everything we've done for themselves will be in heaven, will bless to be there, but the missed opportunities of our lives that we've lived for the Lord and missed out, those things will be consumed. Now you might say, Jason, for you, that might be a sobering reality. But if I can be honest tonight, I mean, I don't really care. Not, I don't, but you, maybe you're saying that to me. I, I don't really care. I mean, <laughs> you're telling me this is in heaven, right? Right. So that means I made it, right? Right. I'm going to spend eternity with Jesus, right? Right. Well, then why do I care about crowns and responsibility? I mean, I don't want to wear a crown. Maybe you do. I mean, obviously, with your receding hairline, a crown might be good for you to cover that up in heaven so that, you know, people can just focus on the eyes there and not all of it. Yeah, maybe for you, a crown is, is a good idea, but I've, I've got a good hair to hair. I don't need one of those. And responsibility... I mean, I just, I, I want to sit on my cloud and have them hand me a Diet Coke and play my harp and I don't want responsibility. I worked hard while I was here in life. I don't want crowns. I don't want responsibilities. This doesn't matter to me. Because I love you, you got to hear me on this. One day, that day, you will. You will, you will, you will. You can say, no, I won't, and shake your head all you want. Not that anybody is. But you will. You see, some of us, we need to grow up spiritually. You know, I, I think about my son, and I didn't realize he'd be sitting in the front row when I gave this illustration tonight. In fact, we have a little deal in our house. 
that if I reference one of my family members, I have to pay them a dollar. Because kind of, you know, being a pastor's kid and wife, <laughs> you know, you get to be the, the brunt of a lot of stories. And so we worked out a deal where they get a dollar and then I buy the rights to that story for the rest of their lives. And so here you go, Jonathan, just so you know, here's a, here's a buck, buddy. There you go. Now I'm free to tell this story. Here we go. All right. My son, he's seven, good guy. But here's what I know about my son. He, he, you know, it is not on his mind right now tonight. I know the time is probably coming sooner than I really want to think or believe. But the time is not coming right now where he's interested in girls. It just, it's just not. I mean, there is so much above the list for my seven-year-old boy. I mean, there's basketball, baseball, football, dirt. I mean, there's a lot in front of girls that he enjoys to be around in his life. And if I would try to sit down with him and say, let me explain to you the wonders of marriage. Let me explain to you intimacy. If I started to talk to him about those things, I can just imagine his face now. What? 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 No, what? Kiss a girl. You see, to him, to him, girls are his sisters. They're those that come into his room and take his toys. And he's not interested in girls. He loves his sisters, but he's not interested in girls. And so, you know, that just... But there's coming a day. Where soon and very soon, girls go from ew to ooh. (laughs) Hey, hey. And I know that as a seven-year-old, he doesn't care. Thank you, Jesus. I know some of your seven-year-olds are like dating already, but I'm just so glad he doesn't care. But there'll come a day when he's 40 years old and living alone in my basement. He will care. He will, just kidding. That will not have it. He will care. It's coming very soon. He will care. And I mentioned this to you tonight to say this. You know, you can say that, I don't care. I don't care about, uh, about crowns. I don't care about responsibilities. And I need to say to you lovingly, you need to grow up. Because you will. You will. There'll come a day when you're standing before the Lord and you're going to care. You know, I, I, do, I, I do believe it's one of the reasons we see tears in heaven. Tears in heaven? Yeah, three times. Three times the Bible talks about tears in heaven. Put those verses up on the screen for you in just a second. Three times we see tears in heaven. So if God's gonna wipe away every tear, what are we crying about? I'll tell you what we're not crying about. Oh Lord, if I just could have lived one more year, I would have been able to afford that five-bedroom home instead of the four-bedroom I have now. It would have been so fun to have that and now boo-hoo, all I have is my mansion. No. Oh, if I just had that boat, if I just could have gotten that boat, then all those times on the lake with great memories they would have been. Oh, I never got a boat. Nope. I wish I could have had two or three more, you know, sinful relationships. Now I can't because I'm in heaven. No. No. You're not going to cry about those things. But I bet and I imagine that the one thing that will bring a tear to our eyes is why did I waste so much time? Why did I waste the time that God gave me? Why didn't I share with that friend? Why didn't I serve at that church? Why didn't I pray and intercede? Why did I spend all my money on just me? Why? 
I believe that's where those tears come from because I know that I know that you can say crowns, responsibilities, I don't want them, but that day you will care and you will think, why was I foolish? I lived, everything was for me and I'm saved and I'm thankful that I'm going to be in heaven, but everything I lived for is in front of me in a heap of ash and how I wish it was different. Wow, thank you for that very encouraging message tonight, Pastor Jason. I came to church to be blessed, and you have succeeded to completely bum me out. Thank you so much. Listen, friends, it's not my intent to discourage you unless you can be discouraged away from wasting your life. Search the scriptures. See if these things be so. Read Matthew 25. Read it. Read 1 Corinthians 3. 2 Corinthians 5. See if these things be so. Realize, realize that God is looking for things to reward you for. He's looking for things to bless you for. I love, when you read Matthew 25, my favorite part, when he says to the servant, you've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you rule over many. (laughs) That's like my life verse. Faithful over a few things. I can do that. Just a couple of things I got right. Amen. But you see what I'm saying? God's looking to do what? As he says to the churches in Revelation, I want to strengthen that which remains. You got a couple things going on right. Good, good. I want to strengthen those things and build those things up and reward you for these things for all of eternity. He's not a critical monger, but a caring father. And he's looking by his grace tonight to pick you up and wash you off and get you on the path again. But listen, listen, precious church, anything good in our lives that will turn into reward and responsibility for all of eternity comes about, I believe, because you are watching and praying and waiting for the soon return of Jesus Christ. So don't let prophecy be something just to excite you who are curious. Let it be something that would encourage you to consecration to Jesus Christ with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. Jesus is coming again. And around us is a world that needs to hear the gospel. You know, we'll, we'll again, in, in three weeks, we'll be in Matthew 28 and because I have to get these studies done so early because uh, you don't want to know why. There's a team that works for me that produces slides, but something God is on my heart right now that we'll explore later on Matthew 28 is I, I just see that God has put you where you're at for a reason. He's put you in your families for a reason. He's put you in that class for a reason. He's put you in that job. You might hate it with all your heart, but he puts you in that job for a reason. He's put you in these, as Pastor Rob often says, these spheres of influence. And I think for many of us, it's time to wake up and realize that's not an accident. But begin to live it out in front of people. To live the Christian life out with people so they can see the reality in your heart and your life and they can hear and understand Jesus is coming again. It better transform the way we live, the way we view trials, the way we view our everything in our lives. Amen? Amen. So we're have the guys come back out on the worship team, and uh, they went a little short on the front so we could take a little more time right now. 
And what I want to do is just spend a few minutes worshiping the Lord together. Letting the Lord deal with our hearts. Because I know for me, man, I, I hear lots of messages. I hear messages here. I hear messages that I listen to to study. I go to conferences. Lots of messages. And so often for me, a lot of times I'll hear something and I'm like, oh, that was, oh, I needed, I needed to, and then, and then it's like, you know, time to go my way at lunchtime and, ooh, hot dogs and chips, you know, and I forget the life-changing thing that God has done in my heart. And I know that we love to fellowship and hang out with one another and we will and get home and all those things we need to do tonight. But for the next 15 minutes, I want us to worship the Lord. And I want him to be able to look deep inside our hearts and see, Lord, am I living like I expect your soon return? Or, or do I see brutality and carnality starting to work its way out in my life? Lord, am I expecting your soon return? Let the Lord deal with you. Repent. Say, God, I'm sorry, and just leave it here. That's what he wants. And, and to go along with that, I love it. We've got communion elements up front here tonight. And so take a few minutes. Let you and the Lord work some things out. And then come up to the table. Take that bread and that cup. And remember what Jesus did for you. He loves to forgive. He loves to cleanse. He loves to say, yeah, there's something I want to strengthen. Let's go for it. He's not looking to beat you down. He's looking to build you up and make you the man and the woman that he desires you become. So let's be real with him. Let's worship him. And again, as you feel ready, those communion elements are up front available for you to partake tonight. Let's worship the Lord together.